going to talk about a subject today now that I believe is very important. And then I've got a handout. I know y'all think I always give homework. But nobody really is responding to me on that. But I'm not going to call you out. You didn't do your homework the last time. I'm not going to get you to raise your hand and so forth. But I am going to give you something. I think it'll be interesting. So we've got two scriptures. If you'd like to, to, to stand while we read the scripture, you can do that. And I invite you to do it and share this as we speak it uh, together. Now, I beseech you, brethren, through the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that you may all speak the same thing and that there be no divisions among you, but that you be perfected together in the same mind and in the same judgment. That's 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 10. This is Philippians chapter 2, verses 1 through 4. If there's therefore any exhortation in Christ, if any consolation of love, if any fellowship of the Spirit, if any tender mercies and compassions, make full my joy that you'll be the same mind, having the same love, being of one accord and of one mind. Doing nothing through faction or through vainglory, but in lowliness of mind, each counting others better than themselves. Not looking each to your own, his own things, but each of you also to the things of others. Amen. May God add blessing to the reading of his word. We're going to talk about today, actually, the community of believers and how to build unity. We talked about last week with Psalm 133, and we talked about that where brothers come together in unity, at the end of that psalm, it says that's where God commands his blessing. God loves unity. God loves a body of Christ coming together. There's a supernatural power that's released when God's children come together in unity. So that's why we see the enemy working to try to divide. Because he know, we know that obviously he wants to, in one way or another, divide and then he can come and conquer. Because the factions, as this particular translation says, come in and we begin to see things the way, what do I want? And we begin to focus on self. Paul is obviously speaking here to the church at Philippi and also the Corinthian church. And he is telling us something so important. And I believe what he's doing here at Lighthouse Fellowship is exactly that. He's bringing us together. You know that song we sing, One in the Bond of Love? Do we know what that really means? We sing it and we may have sang it for most of obviously our church time together and so forth. But it is really important that we understand one in the bond of love coming together in unity. Now, you may not obviously in your walk with the Lord, we're all on that journey. And only God knows where we are in that sense of our understanding but and we don't know we go well you know I didn't read the Bible as much this week I didn't do this or maybe I, I spoke when I should have been quiet or whatever it may be we know we obviously uh, have still have that old nature there okay we all do but the one thing about it that you can do is when you come in is no God's going to do something in here when we are one in the bond of love there's a supernatural release of his power and his spirit in your life and my life when that takes place. Why do I say that? Because the word of God says so. 
Psalm 133. That's where he commands his blessing. There's an emphasis upon commands. That's when he's going, he's just saying, I'm going to bless you if you come together one in the bond of love. I was talking to uh, someone here not too long ago. When Save Savage gets together and we get together and next week is our potluck again, I said, I, I, look, I stand back. There's, another, there's just a sense of warmth. There's a sense of love. There's a sense of joy that I have down in my innermost being that I can't explain. There's nothing better, I want to tell you. I'm going, what is going on here? You know, this is something like radical. And God is doing when he brings brothers and sisters in Christ together. OK, and we put all this other stuff because we come and the, the cross is central to our beliefs. And then the peripheral things that are non-essentials are there and we all have those. But we put them aside and we come together to celebrate Jesus because he's risen. It's because God is doing something that I believe is dear to his heart when he's seeing the unity of two with bodies of believers coming together. I've always said, and I'm saying it like this, because I know it's the, the group. One is called Save Savage, and that title has been uh, something we, we followed in that. And then we say Lighthouse Fellowship. But I feel a little bit funny when I say that, because the, I don't want any distinction between them. We all brothers and sisters in Christ. Amen. So I don't want to say that bring any type like, man, I stumble through it to say, well, it's just two separate parts. No, there's only one part. And it's the body of Christ and his name is Jesus who we follow. Okay. So trust me when I say that, I just say that to identify in that sense. But our ultimate identity is in Jesus and we are one in the bond of love and we're in the body of Christ. And Paul is saying something here, and I want to talk to you about it today because I want to tell you, think, well, I've got this. I, Jim, I, I've got this one. Now, listen clearly to what I'm going to say today, and I pray God would speak to you. He says several things. First of all, being of one mind, having the same love, and being of one accord, and having the same heart. It's a warmth and joy when you come together in that particular mindset, that attitude here. And I want to talk about it here because I pondered the results of brothers and sisters being united. And I came up with a couple results that show up here. And I believe in other scripture passage. First of all, unity leads to God being glorified. Why are we here? It's not about whether or not I preach good or not. I pray that I will. But it's not that's not ultimate. It is about God being glorified. It's about his glory and his alone. It is his intention for us to be unified. And I believe that when we feel that warm sense of joy, what we're actually feeling is the pleasure of God. Thank you, Lord. I believe that's the pleasure of God. I have no other reason. I love that. I love it. I have no other reason. And I know you say, but you're the pastor. You're supposed to feel that way. Well, yeah. But I want to tell you today, all of us should feel that way. Remember, I I've stressed the ministry of the laity is out there. Pastor can't do it all. I just have pulpit and give leadership in the capacity that God has allowed me to be in a position as well as what y'all allow me to be in. But ultimately, we all are ministers. We all can pray for one another. Lynette testified not too, several weeks ago about that. Feeling the Lord speaking and then obeying what God says. We've all had testimonies on that. And so that that sense of warmth is certainly really powerful, changes your life. 
And so this unity results in the family being built up and strengthened. And unity is like cords of a rope being intertwined and braided, which makes a strong makes it stronger with each additional braided cord. It proves to the world that we belong to Jesus. In John 13, you know the scripture, your love for one another will prove to the world that you're my disciples. I love the body of Christ. Men, I can go in the most traditional churches and sit down and do it. And I love to hear it and sit under a preacher's teaching and so forth and be around people love Jesus okay and I can be in the most charismatic certainly church there is where is really an outward display of all these things that God does through them I can be either place and I love being there I am who I am my personality so are you but in that sense I can be in any place and enjoy the body of Christ I can be around people that obviously uh think this way and think that way. And yet, at the same time, the foundation of what they're thinking is Jesus Christ, and I love them. And so I hope that's true for for each one here. And so the first thing Paul asks them is to be of the same mind, thinking the one thing. It's like a clock that strikes at the same moment. I've always talked thought about it in terms like this, and I've used this expression. It's like a fine-tuned machine. It's an engineer. Okay, some of you had that mindset. It's like a fine-tuned machine. You got to tune it. He thinks it. You hear it just humming, and everything is coming together. And everything, and a, a car motor, you could say it about it. When when it's really tuned right, it's kind of like, man, this, this is a sweet sound here. It's the way when the body of Christ is unified, it's like that clock beating. Everything is coming together in that sense. It says being in one accord here which means uh, to be in the, a musical harmony. Different chords, but in harmony with one another. All of us are different. We obviously, and that's why sometimes we see that we need to talk about this because of that. But he says here, be no divisions among you that you may be perfectly united in mind and thought. Maintain the same love, the love of Christ, the love, love to be united in spirit. They're souls that beat together, actually, is what we're talking about. You have one reason being here. I do, too. And that is to exalt Jesus. You have the reason of coming and desiring to to be a part of this body because you believe God has brought you here. And so your heartbeat, we're all beating together. You're not separate. I look different than y'all do. (laughs) And you look different than I do. But we're all coming together. And we have one purpose for being here, and that is glorifying God. And so what do we do? We put our own agendas aside. We put all those things that sometimes get in our way and get us distracted from those things, the priority in our lives here. And so let me ask you, what holds your affections? What is it that we desire? And Paul asked them to be intent on one purpose or to agree on what they live for. Whoa. Agree to what we live for. What is it while we live? Trying to make sure the end, all we can make sure all the ends uh, are met, so to speak. Our finances are up. Our bills are paid. Or whatever it may be. But why do we live? What is it we live for here? The intent on one, one purpose here. There was a mission statement that I read from a particular church. So this is not original, but this I 
man, I wish we could adopt this, but listen to what it says. To provide a safe harbor where people can be pulled up by a demonstration of real Christianity and help people discover God's love and to share his love. Uh, that's the mission statement. Pretty good, huh? Definitely. So when we're all pulling our own way, seeking our own agenda, wanting what we want instead of what God wants, we obviously fracture the family of God and we tear it into pieces. That's why we need to be led by the Spirit of the Lord. We need to listen. And all of us are learning to hear the voice of our God. And we need to listen and we need to come together. Because see, God hasn't assigned us to do everything in a religious sense. He has a particular task here at Lighthouse Fellowship for us to do what he wants us to do. Now, of course, the opposite is true here. When we're all rowing the boat in the same direction, then we'll get there quicker, right? If there are people on the boat with me rowing the opposite way, then obviously we're rowing against one another. And Jesus is the one we serve, and his purposes for our church are to worship him with joyful enthusiasm, give uh, grow in knowledge of Christ and to share our faith and love with other people here. Listen to this, and I hope you can track with me. If I can't, raise your hand because it doesn't bother me. But I want everybody to catch what this is saying because it is, a, a, it is symbolic here. But it is a quote from Max Cato in his book, The Grip of Grace. It tells a story of the family of God in the form of a parable. And he writes this. Everybody, if, again, if I lose you, raise your hand. I'll stop, okay? Make sure you follow. This is so important. God has enlisted us in his Navy and placed us on his ship. The boat has one purpose, to carry us safely to the other side, the other shore. This is no cruise ship. We aren't called to a life of leisure. We're called to a life of service. Each of us has a different task. Some are concerned with those who are drowning and are snatching people from the water. Others are occupied with the enemy, so they man the canons of prayer and worship. Still others devote themselves to the crew, feeding and training the crew members. Though different, we are the same. Each can tell of a personal encounter with the captain, for each has received a personal call. He found us among the shanties of the seashore and invited us to follow him. Our faith was born at the sight of his fondness. And so we went. We each followed him across the gangplank of his grace onto the same boat. There's one captain and one destination. Though the battle's fierce, the boat is safe. For our captain is God. The ship will not sink. For that, there's no concern. There is a concern, though, however, regarding the disharmony of the crew. When we first boarded, we assumed the crew was made up of others like us. But as we wandered these decks, we've encountered crew members with strange appearances. Some wear uniforms we've never seen. Sporting styles we've never witnessed. Why do we look the way you do? We ask them, and funny, they reply, we were about to ask you the same thing. Catch the drift? The variety of dress, 
is not merely as disturbing as the variety of opinion. There's a group, for example, who clutches every morning for serious study. They promote rigid discipline and somber expressions. Serving the captain is serious business, they explain. It's no coincidence that they tend to congregate around the stern. There's another regiment, deeply devoted prayer. Not only do they believe in prayer, but they believe in prayer by kneeling. For that reason, you always know where to locate them. And they're at the bow of the ship. And then there are a few who staunchly believe real wine should be used in the Lord's Supper. You'll find them on the port side. Still another group has positioned themselves near the engine. They spend hours examining the nuts and bolts of the boat. They've been known to go below deck and not come up for days. They occasionally are criticized by those who linger on the top deck, feeling the wind in their hair and the sun on their face. Uh, it's not what you learn, those topside argue. It's what you feel that matters. And then there are theirs who issue of a weekly meeting at which the captain is thanked and his words are read. All agree on its importance, but few agree on its nature. Some want it out loud, others quiet. Some want ritual, others spontaneity. Some want to celebrate so they can meditate and others meditate so they can celebrate. Some want a meeting for those who've gone overboard. Others want to reach those overboard, but without going overboard themselves and neglecting those on board. And oh, how we tend to cluster. The consequence is a rocky boat. There's trouble on deck. Fights have broken out. Sailors have refused to speak to one another. And there have even been times when one group refused to acknowledge the presence of others on the ship. Most tragically, some adrift at sea have chosen not to board the ship. Why? Because of the quarreling of the sailors. Paul tells us here, Colossians, that we should clothe ourselves with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. And then he says, above all these virtues, he says, put on love, which binds them together, all together in perfect unity. You see, the real problem with the average American church is that people who desperately need God are not attracted to it since it looks like any other organization with its politics, cliques, and strife. That's the issue. Someone has compared the church to Noah's Ark saying, the only thing that made them able to tolerate the stink inside was the storm that was raging outside. That's not our case. And we don't want it to be our case. May we be a, such a people. That the sweet aroma of Jesus Christ attracts people. That they see Jesus in us. And we're here in these four walls. But when we leave here. We're still the body of Christ. I don't know about you. People watch my life. And you say but that's what your pastor. Well they should watch your life. They do. But they watch you too. They watch how I respond to situations. They, they, they look at me if I, I say words that I shouldn't say or maybe attitudes that they pick up on that I shouldn't have. Or maybe in one way or another I do something that's not Christ-like. They watch me. Some years ago as God began to deal in my heart and I was working in manufacturing management in Pearland, I had 
a lot of men working for me. It's before I went in ministry. I remember one lady that was from Dickinson, and she and she was my right hand person because we used it. I had a lot. I was managed. I was a, like the under the plant manager there in the plant. And she came to me and she said, I've been watching what you're doing and how you're doing it. And she said, is God dealing and working in your life? I thought, wow, I had no idea that anybody was watching me, but they are. They want to see something authentic. They want to see something real. Because they tried all of that, just like we said. The average American church is, is sort of we going through the motion. We're just kind of doing this. We talk about we're all born in the bond of love. But are we showing that? Are we getting out of our comfort zone? And we stepping out there. Are we on the deck fighting in that sense? And it may not be with one another. But it may be within yourself that you're fighting and saying, all these changes, may God have mercy. Right? Because none of us like to change. We're all, I've always said, I want to be a whole stick in the mud, but sometimes I feel like I am. And God is getting us out of our comfort zone. And I say this because I believe when God's spirit begins to move, there's going to be things happening in those particular situations that I'm telling you is going to get our attention and may get you and me out of my comfort zone because God is not like me. He doesn't do things the way I do it. Tidy up and all this, you see. We talked about last week, that last verse I read in Proverbs. said, when the oxen's in the stall, there's going to be a mess to clean up. But if there's no oxen in the stall, if there's no activity that's going on, then there's nothing to clean up. I'll tell you right now, I'll clean up. I want activity. I want God's Spirit to move. And he does some things that I just don't understand. And some things that stretches my tradition or what I think I should happen in the church today. These things are happening, but we've got to know that he's preparing us. You see, the crucified self is required for unity. In Ephesians 4, we are all one body. The church isn't made up of a lot of disconnected people. The pride that prompts people to push to get their own way, selfish ambition says, I'm not getting my way here and I'm mad about it. Right? Nothing. Do nothing from selfishness. You see, it's a electioneering actually is a word. Would be like trying to impress others or to court their favor. Well, we see a lot of that in our elections, right? They try to court our favor, right? They're electioneering for our favor. But we do it as Christians to other Christians trying to, to sound holy. Trying to look good so that we'll be accepted or acceptable among the church family here. I hear praise God and so forth. And I hear that and so forth. And I'm wondering when they leave these four walls, they're going to they say go out in the community. Why change when you leave these four walls? You praise God everywhere, right? So it shouldn't just happen in these four walls. If your heart is changed, you be it out there in the community, okay? And I'm not saying be obnoxious, but I'm saying today, where rubber hits the road when we leave and goes throughout the whole week, I again believe that God is getting these things ready. So why do we need to do that if you're a family? 
you should already feel accepted. If I feel I need to impress you, then one of two things are going on is wrong. First of all, either I'm insecure with who I am or I feel I must somehow meet standards that you have set for me. Let me say that again. If I feel I need to impress you, then something's wrong. First of all, either I'm insecure with who I am, and that's what we've been talking about, our death, our certainly who we are in Christ, our identity in Christ here, or that I've got to somehow meet standards that you've set for me. So ultimately, either I'm unsafe or the church family environment I'm trying to enter is unsafe, right? So what should the church family do? Well, we can make the environment safe by showing you that we love you the way you are. We should make certain that we love people the way they are. I'm not saying, obviously, that you don't agree with things and that there's sin, obviously. And there's a difference between disagreeing with them if they're in sin and obviously praying for them in that versus accepting them as a person for who they are. The church house is for the sick, not for the well. The church is placed here that people can come in. A place of safe haven, a harbor, as that mission statement said. That they can come in and healing can take place and growth can take place and encouragement can take place. And I mean real love to take place. I can say, I love you. And I think, yeah, great. I'm supposed to do this and that and all. But if it's not flowing from my heart, I want to tell you, people know whether or not you love them or not. And whether or not you accept them or not. Well, you talk different than I do. You look different than I do. You act different than I do. And all these things. And we start judging a book by its cover. You remember David? Remember when Samuel was going to anoint the next king because Saul had messed up bad, remember? And, and Jesse brought all of his sons. They looked really good on the outside. They were probably very distinguished and they were probably handsome and everything and stuff. He brought them all in there and Samuel looked at them and all and he goes, uh, none of these are the ones that God's telling me to anoint. Uh, uh, you, got a, you got another son somewhere? And what did he say? Jesse said, yeah. He's out on the hillside with those stinky sheep, right? He's got a low, low paying job. He's not like these that are distinguished, okay? Remember, Samuel said, go get him. And they came in. This is the one. Isn't it strange how God doesn't do things the way we do it? Why is it? Because we want what we want. And if I don't get it, I'm going to be mad or heck. And you'll know about it. God is doing something here. Leonard Bernstein, listen to this, the late conductor of the New York Philharmonic Orchestra, was once asked to name the most difficult instrument to play. And without hesitation, he replied, the second fiddle. I can get plenty of first violinists. But to find someone who will play the second fiddle with enthusiasm. That's a problem. And if we have no second fiddle, we have no harmony. You feel better about being second fiddle now? 
The only way. It's the way he does. He doesn't do things. The people that he picked as his disciples, it was always a motley crew. They were from all walks of life. Peter was messed up, okay, before Pentecost and all. God changed his heart and God used him powerfully. In fact, in scriptures, uh, we know Paul obviously wrote uh, most of the New Testament and so forth. But much was emphasized by what Peter wrote there before, obviously, the canonization of Scripture. So Peter was right there. But Peter was somebody, a big old brute who was a fisherman who opened mouth every time you turned around, inserted foot. And then, as another pastor I've listened to, always pointed out, he always was answering Jesus, and Jesus didn't ask him a question. He always was messed up. But the fact of the matter is, God used Peter in building the kingdom of God. And he wants to use you and me. Amen? He wants to use you in what he's doing in the earth today. Don't put a limitation of what the devil tells you who you are. You go back and say, I am who I am and Christ. And I'm not listening to that. He's going to use me. You know, when you hit troubles in your life and there are rough waters that you're going through, somehow, man, this sort of discounts me or kind of puts me on the sidelines and so forth. Yes, we need to bring that to the past. Don't stop allowing God to use you when there's some turmoil or adversity in your life that somehow came out of the clear blue. We are in a war, folks. We are in a war. The Bible says in Ephesians 6, that our battle is not against flesh and blood. It's against principalities and powers of darkness in high places. Remember that always when you get in an argument with somebody or when you're fighting and turmoil and all that stuff. Our war is not against that person. It's against the enemy who wants to destroy you. He came to kill, steal, and destroy. The only way you can do is recognize what's going on and then take action. And suit up in that full armor of God spoken of. When we think that we're better than others, we destroy the unity of the church family. And so humility is a proper appraisal of yourself. Don't think too highly of yourself. And I, I, I like to think of humility as seeing yourself the way God sees you. Not the way you want people to see you. Or even the way others see you. The only opinion that matters is God's. How does God see you? How does he look at you and me? Humble people remember how they got to where they are. That their base, their worth is solely on God's grace. And when people forget how they got there, they become prideful. Thinking themselves better than others. And the Bible says regard others as more important than yourselves. Important than yourself. Literally, a view of them is they are of superior rank. So that's really lowers you. If we looked at other people and considered them better than ourselves, we wouldn't have all the conflict that we have, including in the church today. That's what's happening. And you say, yeah, but that may not be happening here, okay? In that, But let me tell you, the potential is there because, again, the one thing the enemy wants to do is obviously divide and conquer. The one thing that he wants to do, and I want to tell you, I don't know how many churches went, went out. It was 4,500 that closed their doors in 2022. 
that I know in this country, from what I understand, that's a lot, isn't it? Okay, why they closed? I, people, uh, again, I don't know. It's a spirit, seems to be a spiritual drought, but Jesus told his disciples, remember, he said, don't wait six months. The harvest is ready right now. There are people out there that want to know Jesus out there right now, folks. Don't wait. And so when that happens, when God's spirit begins to move, oh, people coming in here. People are going to do that. And, and you're going to meet people today in HEB and Walmart, wherever you go, because that's why we're here, that you're going, I don't particularly want to say anything to them. I mean, look, look out. Because, see, a couple weeks, several weeks ago, we were taking, and I, met, I, I talked about this, our grandson um, Rex to IHOP because he likes pancakes. He really likes the chocolate chips on the pancakes too, but he—I mean—it makes it—it's pretty good, really. You should try it. And we were sitting there, and I looked over to a couple. One guy had O2. He's—I could tell he had O2 uh, carrier, you know, portable, and so he's dependent, oxygen dependent. His wife was in a uh, uh, a wheeled type of. Uh, contraption that she could walk around and I could tell that that they were obviously challenged with those things and I looked over there at them and I felt like the Lord said go over there and pray for his healing and I looked and I said well Lord they're eating their supper and then the Lord said, go over there and tell do what I told you I said but Lord they're uh, over there and I don't I don't want to disturb them God told me go over there and do what I told you have you ever argued with God about something when he told you to do something what usually winds up? Either you get in a whole heap of trouble or you go ahead and do what God told you to do, right? So I said, yes, Lord. And I got up. And I went over there and I said, I don't want to disturb y'all, but uh, I've just come over and see how you're doing. And, and we're sitting over there and we were having uh, supper over there and all. And I just, I just pointed out, I didn't say I was a pastor because that sometimes puts a taint on it. That's like what you're supposed to I didn't say that. I don't want to say that because I just want to say, because they go, well, you're supposed to love everybody, your pastor, right? But what I did was, is I said, uh, I really feel like that when I was sitting over there, I was impressed to come over and pray for y'all and pray for the healing. Could I pray for y'all? He goes, of course. And his wife said, yes, of course. So we held hands, we prayed, and I prayed for his healing and prayed that God would restore him and, and heal him and so forth, okay? I don't heal, God does, but I ask. Okay, and so after I talked to him, got in a conversation with them and they just opened up. They needed somebody to talk to. And I stood over there for a while and talked to them and so forth. And I thought, wow, what a strange place to minister in IHOP. Okay, but that's who God is. Okay, but see, I could say, well, they don't look like me, you know, and, and I can go over there and pray. But what if they're not healed, Lord? And then I begin to look. And turn it on myself and think that I'm responsible for their healing. No, I can't heal anybody, but I can ask him. God heals, and he still heals today. So, a couple of weeks later, we were in there again. They were sitting over there, and he said, Isn't that the same couple that's sitting there? I said, Yeah, it is. And so, when they came back, he said, Hey, how are y'all doing? And all that stuff. So, there was a connection being made. I'm just saying, heads up, okay? And remember this, the literal view, obviously, is, again, that others are of superior rank to you. 
we have a conversation with them. They'd ask you a question about yourself. You remember that? Instead of talking about themselves. In other words, is what we do so often is we want to, we say, well, how are you doing? And how many of us really stop to listen to see how that person doing? I can say that, obviously, wrote, because I know what to say, and so do you. But people are looking for people to listen to them. Do you really mean it when you say, hey, how you doing? And you pick up, because God gives a Christian discernment, he gives the gifts of the Spirit, that he's saying today, hey, there's some issue here. And maybe listening to them, allowing them to be able to bring it out into the open, and then, as the Lord allows, possibly saying a prayer with them. But what do we do? We're always thinking about what we want to say. So we override what they're doing. And so nobody hears anybody. And y'all come in here. I go, how y'all doing? Good, good. And then I'm on my way. The church is the place that should be a place what's called edification. It's a building up and strengthening of the body of Christ. And that takes time. That takes your patience and my patience and listening to people. And we're all growing, so don't get me wrong. Where none of us has got a corner of the, on the truth in that sense. But God is working. Listen to this story. A man who paid $5 for a 19th century painting he bought at a garage sale has sold it to a museum for a million dollars. An art publication reported. And the unidentified 29-year-old actor found that Joseph Decker's here, ripening pears, name of the, the painting, wrapped in a blanket at a Los Angeles garage sale three years ago. The report here in the newsletter said, the woman who sold him the painting said it had been sitting in her garage for more than 60 years, the publication said. And so Decker painted it around 1884-1885. So the Natural National Gallery of Art in Washington, D.C. bought the painting in February for a million dollars and said this. The man's obviously... Um, the painting hung on the man's kitchen wall for two years before he decided to do an internet search on who the, the painter was. The painting, the painting was not valuable because of where it was located. It was in a garage. It was not valuable because of who owned it, a 29-year-old actor. It was valuable because of its creator. We're valuable. Because of our creator. God almighty. It's true. It's not who we are. Or where we live. Or who our parents are. Or our job or education. That makes us valuable. It's our creator. It's God almighty. And so when we give over our control of our lives to God. He sees us as very valuable. Valuable enough to sacrifice his son Jesus. To die for us. And he loves us that much here. You are valuable. God loves us. Jesus cost him his life. So that you and I. Would be able to enter into. The throne of grace with confidence. And ask for grace and mercy. In our time of need. That one day. We will live with him. Throughout eternity. The Bible says we need to consider. The needs of others. You see, you think about it, one of the family members is unable to get around, and so maybe you cook for them. Maybe you take them somewhere because they need to go someplace, obviously. And you don't serve mushrooms because one family member doesn't like them. 
Don't do that. Maybe you don't like strawberry cake, but you know this person over here does. Make the strawberry cake. Do it. Sacrifice for it. Remember, you're not living for yourself. Our focus is upon ourselves too much. Our focus is upon our group, our church here. And what do we do? We become recluse. We become like a hermit. And we say the same. We're not getting out of our comfort zone. We're not looking to others as better than ourselves. People who can't come, send them a card. Trish does cards. Send them a card. But the thing with it, with Trish doing cards and all, we get a card and she stays on top of it. But other cards don't hurt. A call it makes a big difference when we go beyond what we may say is the call of duty. A.W. Tozier, which I've always loved and respected uh, uh, in the 1800s, an old pastor. He says this, has it ever occurred to you that 100 pianos are all tuned to the same fork or automatically tuned to each other. They are of one accord by being tuned, not to each other, but to another standard to which each one must individually bow. So 100 worshipers meeting together, each one looking away to Christ, are in heart nearer to each other than they could possibly be were they to become unity conscious and turn their eyes away from God to serve for closer fellowship. He's saying how powerful it is when all the believers in this place are tuned and our eyes are looking to Jesus, saying all I want to do is God's will. They're all tuned like a fine tune, harmony, piano, clock, everything working for His glory. The question is, are you thinking about other people? Are you thinking about, hey, I just got here, okay? Don't push me. (laughs) God's saying, think about it. And the thing I've always talked about is, when you come in this place, come expectantly. I don't know what God's going to do, but he's going to do something. Michael W. Smith wrote that song, Waymaker. He makes a way. Even when I don't feel it, and we, even when I don't see it, he's working and he's working here, folks. And I don't want him to stop. In fact, I'm asking him to increase, increase his work here between Lighthouse Fellowship and Safe Sabbath. I'm asking him to blow the tops off of this place. Amen. Let the spirit move. Do whatever he wants to do. But we've got to put ourselves and think of others better than ourselves. All right. Everybody got it? Got a handout. Hang on. I think I've got 25 here. Don, would you help me please? Or Willis, would you help me? You two guys, would you please? Thank you, sir. This is, does God care what we wear to church? (laughs) Hey, look. Look at me. I got my sweater on. I, I ironed my shirt this morning. I, uh, I took a shower. Thank the Lord, right? Y'all are saying thank you, Jim. Ricky said thank you, Jim. God care? You ever thought about that? There are churches around. And, and again, I'm going to explain something. And I want to couch what I'm saying. Please don't misunderstand. 
There are churches that many times people will go in. I heard here not too long ago, someone was telling me they go, they went to a church for some years, right many years, and they said this. They said, and it's, a, it's on TV. And they said that those who came in in their ties and their coats sat down front. And when the camera panned across there, they would hit those people that had their coats on, their ties and all. Good looking crowd. And then in the back, those who came uh, as they did, and obviously not knowing, but the camera wasn't on them as much. But it was on those with coats and ties. So really, thank y'all. Does God care what you wear to church? Look at this. I want to talk about it. Look at the first caption. God warns against outward appearances. And here's four scriptural, if you turn over, guidelines on what to wear. First of all, this is good. Adorn yourself with a gentle and quiet spirit. That doesn't say anything about what I've got on. i got my pants or shirt or whatever, coat. Okay. The second one, adorn yourself with good works. Look at number three. Take off your love of the world. Well, take it off. I... He says, if you love the world, you don't love Jesus, okay? And then clothe yourself with love. Is it okay to wear Sunday's best? Well, nothing wrong with it at all. But remember one thing. The Bible stresses the heart. God stresses. Remember what he said with, with uh, about David? We just talked about him. Those others, they looked real good and they were dressed up and they had their suits on, I'm sure. But God came in and he knew David's heart. And what did his Bible say in, in uh, the New Testament? That David was a man after God's own heart. And David sinned. And we know that. But he always confessed and repented and came back to the Lord. And that's true for you and I. We all sinned. We don't stop that because we come to Christ. God is in the process of sanctifying us. We haven't arrived yet. But we always confess quickly, repent, and get back up and get on because his arms are always open wide. Come to the altar. We sang it last week. God looks at our heart. He does not look at what you and I wear. Why do I say that? It's because I believe that God is doing something today. And say, for example, young people, they dress different than I do. First of all, the girls are buying really expensive jeans and it, they've got splits in it. And I always think, you got gypped. They'll <laughs> wore out. They'll wore out before you even got in them. Right? Okay. And I'm looking I'm like, golly day, yeah, you know, see that I'm telling you, our tendency is to look at the outward appearance and God's looking at the heart. He doesn't care what you wear. You know what he cares about is you come in here and you fellowship and you get in one in the bond of love and you love one another and you grow in faith and you're discipled and all those things. He don't care what you wear. I was raised where 
It was different. I've always told you, I, my, my desire is to have a church that's filled with people that obviously everybody, I mean a mixture if you want to call it like that, and I'm, I could be right in the middle of the mixture, okay? Because man, I'm primed for that. Because that's what God, the body of Christ is made up of so many different types of people, personalities, quirks like mine that want to be accepted. And they're looking for a place. They're looking for a place to go and for people to open their arms to them and say, I love you. Come on in. We're going to work and we're going to pray. I'm going to edify. We're going to build our faith in, in the Lord together. We're going to walk together in unity. And God says, yes, this is what I'm looking for. Brings pleasure to the heart of God. Don't ever, because we all have things we've done in the past. Again. But man, I'm glad I can tell you today. I know I wasn't right. And I can tell you today. God doesn't care what you wear. I want to see people in this church. And I want people, the Bible says, open, open your mouth wide so that God can feed us. His word and his presence. Because of people out there wounded. And they've been rejected by the church because of that very thing. They've looked down. You look at people and I'll encourage you today. There are different things that go on in our lives. And, and you're out in the community. Don't stare at people that are maybe something is going on and so forth. Pray for them. You know, when God shows you something, pray for them. We look at people and stare at them and people feel uncomfortable about that. But pray for them. We're given the opportunity to pray. We have more power in the prayer and God touching somebody and blessing somebody than you would ever imagine. But what do we do? Get into our humanness and we look at people, we size them up. We've done size them up before we even get to know them. They don't, don't look right to me. Y'all know what I'm talking about? Don't look right. Stop it. Look at people, how God sees them. He looks at me like that. He said, Jim, you got your shirt ironed today and all that other stuff. But let me see your heart. And I said, Lord, I, I need to bring this to you. I need your blood to cleanse me on the inside. He said, good. Now you got it right. When God moves and he's moving. Don't judge that. Do not judge people. We don't do that. What do we do? We love. We say, I love you the way you are. Come on in. Why? It's because God loved me the way I am. And we know that obviously he's saying, I love you so much. I don't want you to stay that way. I'm changing your heart. But what we try to do, we change. If you dress like I do and you talk like I do and you do this like I do and so forth, then I, I man, you, you're in with me. I can't find many people like me, to be honest with you. <laughs> okay. <laughs> oh, I mean, come on. Love people for who they are. Stop looking at the exterior. Our personalities or where they've been. See, I have a past. So do you. I have a past. But I know it's under the blood. 
Okay? Don't let the devil tell you otherwise. But I got a past. And we look at that and we go, wow. You know what we do? We go, well, you know, it wasn't quite as bad as that one. You know, right? Huh? Come on. I wasn't quite that bad. Okay? I mean, I, I mean, I didn't do that and so forth and all and all that. Do not. Do not go there. Yeah. All of sin and falling short of the glory of God. My, my mess looked just as bad as anybody else's. Right? God's doing something. But it's got to be in unity because that's where he commands his blessing. Everybody got it. Read that thing. I hope he encourages it. Nothing talks about what you're clothed in on the outside. It talks about looking at the heart. He chose David. I told the Lord many years ago, and I'm still, the Lord's got to work on me. He got to speed it up. I said, Lord, I want to be a man after God's own heart. I remember where I was over in Friendswood. And since that time, I'm going, Lord, I think sometimes I, Lord, if I made some progress in this Christian walk, sometimes maybe you all feel the same way. God said, yeah. He said, leave it up to me. He said, that this is the confidence that we have, that he who began a good work within you will bring it to completion at the day of Christ Jesus. My confidence is not in my flesh. My confidence in the Spirit of the Lord worked in my life. And I know it to be true for each one here today. All right. Let's grow. Let's be unified. And let's love people. Allowing that. Because again, people, everybody's different. Stop the selfishness. <clears throat> And consider others better than yourself. And then it all works out. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word, your truth. Thank you today for what you're doing in the church here. Faith Savage. And all people who are gathering in your name. And Father, today we come. We bow our hearts before you. We bow our heads. And we say, thank you, Father. What a great and wonderful Father we have. And we thank you today, Father, you are committed to us, but help us to surrender and say we can't make it happen. Not by might, not by power, but by my spirit, saith the Lord. Only by your spirit, O oh God. We're grateful today. We didn't choose you. You chose us. And somehow by your amazing grace, Lord, we surrender. I don't understand it, Lord, but I'll be grateful throughout eternity. Help us, dear God as we all come together under the banner of Christ. And what you're doing, Lord, and, and the ministry here and all over the, this country and around the world, we want to be a part. We pray that you would be blessed and it would, be, it would bring pleasure to your heart. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 Makes sense. Thank you, Lord. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. And all of God's people said, amen.